the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Could there be life beyond the earth? And then, what does forgiveness look like within families? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. And we hope that you're doing well. Aubrey, we are we are full-fledged into the middle of winter. We're rolling. You're kind of sick over there, battling oh, a cold. Man. Everyone's battling yeah. colds. I got kids battling colds. I like know. you know, Everyone is. It's so true. This is welcome to Chicago in winter. It is that time of year. But we are glad that you're with us. Hopefully, you're inside somewhere enjoying the heat. And, uh, Aubrey, I thought I would start us today with maybe the most pressing question that keeps many of us up at night. Oh, what is this? When will we die? Do you think that there is life beyond the earth? Do you believe in aliens? Do you think there is more out there than we can? I I was reading this article. We might reference it a little bit because the lady's brilliant from BioLogos. And she goes further to ask if there is life beyond this earth, what does that mean for us as Christians? But before we tackle that existential question, <laughs> where does Aubrey Sampson, when your kids, I'm sure they've asked you, mom, do you believe in aliens? What do you right. tell them? I've told you this before that I think people either believe in ghosts or aliens, not both. And but I never both. I do not believe in <clears throat> aliens, but I do believe in ghosts. And so uh, I look, I'm willing to say. I have a very small uh, perspective on the universe, and God is so much bigger than I could imagine. And maybe there's multiverses, but I think I have a hard time just believing in sort of the, like, little guys with the big eyes and the green faces that, like, come <laughs> down and, like, do experiments on us. Because, I mean, one, I think it's funny, but two... Throughout history, we've always filled in the gap of what we don't know with something. We've created dragons. We've created monsters. Like, humanity just does this. And I feel like aliens are another version of that. Like, there's a lot we don't know. There's mystery about the universe. And so we fill it in with these sort of scary things. And I just tend not to think they're aliens. I hope if there are, they're friendly and nice. Isn't it interesting that all of our perception of aliens is that they're smarter than us doing experiments on us? (laughs) I know. We never, like, put ourselves in the equation as equals. Like, we're never like, well, what if they come and we actually dominate them? It's always they're they're coming to destroy us, kind of like the robots. What about you? Are you an alien or a ghost person? Uh, Well, so let me ask you for some clarification, Uh, and then I will answer your question. Yeah. Uh, This is twofold. Why is it it binary? (laughs) Why one or the other? Fair. And why are you landing yes, ghost, no alien? (laughs) Okay, so why is it binary? I don't know, because it's funny, ultimately. (laughs) Um, It's not a hill to die on for you. Same same with ghosts. Like... On a serious note, I do believe in a spiritual world and a spiritual Mm -hmm. warfare. 
I like to just kind of make jokes about ghosts. You know, I mean, I, I really do. I actually like think there are ghosts in my house. No. Do I actually spend a lot of time thinking about it? But I do believe in spiritual warfare. I do believe in the presence of evil. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm being a little I'm being a little tongue in cheek when I say all of this. I do think uh, so. I've never experienced like a ghost or whatever, but I do yeah. think I'm, one of I'm the differences. I'll tell you when you're done. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm ready to hear it because one of the differences is you could choose not to believe them, but there's a whole lot more stories of people going. I moved into this house and I saw this. I moved here and this happened. I was at this hotel and this happened versus like the alien stuff. You're always like, okay, I'm not going to believe everything I read it. Kind of how I feel about like last week when I mentioned the story about the priest who said he died and went to hell and it was all Rihanna music torturing people. I'm like, I don't feel like I have to believe everything that's written and said. So there does seem to be some more, um, Evidence, if you will, yes. towards yes. ghosts and the yeah. paranormal. What is your funny story? So my dad has this cousin in Texas and they all several of the cousins have lived in this one house and they all swear that there's this ghost of an old um like Native American man who sits in a rocking chair. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> a family joke where my dad will call and be like, hello, and like do a voice to try to scare him. And they're like, no, that ghost is real. I saw that rocking chair ghost in my house. <laughs> so, you know, you're right. There people have stories about what they see or what they think they see. And the paranormal Again, is an interesting thought, isn't it? Uh- I feel like ghost stories are always it's this old ghost in a rocking chair or it's a little, little kid. It's never like the nice. It's never a middle aged ghost who's like, let me help you with your yard work or like let me do your taxes for you I this know. year. The accountant goes. You're right. You're right. It's never like it's never like the You know, in the uh, you don't know this, but. One of the many themes of the Hallmark genre movies are like the cute boyfriend ghost comes and like helps the gal with her love life. And somehow he materializes in real life and they fall in love like that never happens. It is always an old scary ghost with a blanket and a rocky chair or like a spooky little child. Yeah. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm a ghost. I would like to help you change your oil. Awesome. Thank you, ghost. (laughs) Let me pay for your gas this month. Like, then I would sign up. I would go. I'd look for the website where I could rent a ghost. Like, let's have a ghost come to my house. I would be. A ghost uh, that comes in, like, pays for the eggs because they're so expensive and then makes meals from breakfast for you every morning. I would like a butler ghost. That would be wonderful. Uh, You never uh, also hear about, like, an animal ghost. Like, there's never, like, a little dog ghost or a little cute penguin that waddles around. I would do a penguin ghost in a heartbeat. You just went penguin. There's something <laughs> there's something there. All right. On a serious nature, oftentimes, and this is why this BioLogos article I find interesting and helpful, I, I'm always confused by the people who say, if there were aliens, that is somehow some sort of uh, indication against God. It is something, it is a big roadblock to our faith if there's other life out there. Do you understand why that argument is made and what would our, what would our counter be to that? Um, The only reason I think it's made, well, maybe two reasons. One, it's sort of that like science against Christianity, right? Mm -hmm. Because if, I don't think this is true. 
but in that argument, if the Bible tells us like proof about science, the Bible didn't mention other realms, aliens, etc. Uh, then that means the Bible's not true. Like, I think that mm-hmm. would be an argument. Again, I disagree with that because I don't think the Bible is a science book. Um, and then uh, some of it just may be like some fear, like, oh, we thought it was God, but we didn't know it was aliens. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I think some of it is just sort of faith not being uh, foundational enough in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you kind of like, if something comes along that freaks you out, you're willing to move from Jesus to this other big thing, which of course aliens would be a wild thing to come across. I don't That's just my guess, yeah. Brian. I think that's it, but we want to uh, remember that God is the God of the universe. I, I never answered your questions. I don't believe there's aliens out there, and my kids were shocked. We were just having this conversation just the other day, and I was like, they were like, Dad, do you believe that there's other life out there? And I was like, no. And yeah. they were, they were, they thought that I was like, it was funny. They were like, my why? Kids, why? I'm my like, kids are always shocked that I don't believe, too. Like, they're always like, what are you talking about? Of course they're, yep. you don't know. What if there's a multiverse? That kind of thing. So they're always surprised. Yeah, you're like, that. you grew up watching Marvel. That is your problem, kids. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, but I would say this. If I'm wrong, it doesn't change who God is. God is the no. God of the universe. He's not yes. the God of Earth. And so right. we can still go, okay, those those aliens over there, they are fallen and in need of Jesus as well. And That's he right. is the God. And if anything, I think it just grows our view of God. So I thought that was a fun way to start. Oh, the takeaway that. there. Good thought. The takeaway there is this. Aubrey, yes, ghosts, no aliens. That's so the take and that is the take and that away. she would like a little mascot penguin ghost <laughs> that will follow her around and be her friend. So yeah, learning a lot here on the common good. Aubrey coming up next. Yes, it was. I have a scenario, a story from my life. I'm going to need to uh, kind of. I won't share all the details, but I want to know. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm looking to you for advice of of what I should do. Okay, sound good? Are you Ooh, ready for that? I love giving advice. I'm very excited about this. Life yes. advice from Aubrey coming up next year on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. All right, Aubrey. I need life advice. I love that you're coming to me for this. I am prepared to give you wisdom. I have a lot of wisdom for you, Brian. From. I'm ready for it. Uh, and I'm going to try to, I'm going to be a little nebulous with some of the details here, right? Fair, so fair. Yes. protecting whatever. But this is a very positive story. Oh, uh, okay. Somebody, and this is where, where I need your advice, an unknown person or persons or organization okay. or something uh, has done something for my wife and I that is very generous. Ooh. That is very generous. Uh, It happened months ago, but we only figured it out within the last, say, two months. So the question became, what do you do when when somebody does something generous for you but doesn't tell you? We started going we started going to some of the obvious uh, people in our lives yeah. thinking, well, surely it's this person. Surely it's this. Mm-hmm. The two or three people that we approached just swore up and down that it wasn't them. Okay. That it was not them. So yeah. this is a grand mystery. 
And wow. this is like this is a it wasn't just like somebody gave us cash or something, but like yeah. what they did was very generous, very unexpected. Okay. Like nobody was like, "Hey, we're thinking of doing this for you." Wow. Some of the other people, some of the other people in our life that we might guess that it is, yeah. They would have told us, right? Like they would have. So we've either yeah. asked them or they would have told us. Yeah. So, we are now at the part at the point of uh here's my here's my question for you. Yep. Do I continue doing detective work to try to figure out who this is? Not just because I'd like to know, but right. also so that we can thank them. Or do you say, listen, this person didn't tell us when they did it in the first place? Because there might be some ways and some people we could ask that we could figure this out. So, hey, this person did this anonymously, clearly. If they wanted you to know, they would have told you. Mm -hmm. Just accept the gift and go. Mm -hmm. But it does feel weird not to be thanking somebody for what happened. this so talk me through this, because Carrie and I, we, we've been trying to figure it out. But now we since we've closed the door on a couple people, it feels like it might be time to just let it go. Yeah. So one going to what you said, they they did whatever they did anonymously. So I would assume they want anonymity. And I say this as someone who loves giving gifts, but I want you to know I gave it to you. Like, I want you to <laughs> be too. like, yes. oh, Aubrey, thank you for that gift. And I would be like, you're very welcome. I was thoughtful for you. Like, <laughs> you know, so clearly this person is better than the rest of us. And I think they they don't want to be found out or at some point in the future, they're going to tell you when they're ready. That said, I understand that feeling of how do I thank this person? So here's what I would do. And and I'll give you an example from my own life that's a lot smaller than what you're talking about. But I would you're are you off Facebook, but your wife is on it, right? Somebody in your life is on Facebook. Yeah, uh, she is on it more. I will check okay. it like kind of once a day okay. from my computer. I got it okay. off my phone is where I okay. eliminated it. OK, I would not say what it is. I would not if it's an event, if it's going somewhere, I wouldn't post a picture of you at that thing. But I would just post <laughs> a general picture of you and Carrie. And say somebody so generous in our life gave us an anonymous experience slash gift slash whatever did something for us that was anonymous and generous. Hmm. We don't know who you are, but we want to give you a shout out and say thank you. Praying God blesses you. We love we love it or we let you know. So you're saying thank you. You're going to assume whoever it is is at some point going to see it and that's going to be enough for them. At that point, they have the opportunity to comment, I know who did it, or blah, 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 blah. (laughs) You're welcome. And then you'll you'll find out. But that's what I would do. I would stop the detective work, because I think that was intentional. And then, but I would give a general shout out on social media without, you know, you don't want to be braggy, like, oh, this person bought me a new car or whatever, but. Right. It was not a new car. You will not see me in a new car. I know, I know. You and Carrie, you know, being cutesy, saying we're so thankful to whoever you are. You're awesome. That's what I would do. Mm, okay. So okay. recently, somebody sent me a very meaningful gift. My, I've said this on the show. My best friend, Jen, died about a month ago from breast cancer. And somebody sent me this beautiful wind chime. And mm. it, it wasn't a handmade wind chime, but there was a charm on it that was handmade. And it said something specifically about Jen and I. And I mean, I started crying as soon as I saw it. But it was anonymous. And so I went on Facebook and said... Um, 
took, you know, shared a picture of it and said, I don't know who sent this to me, but thank you so much. It meant so much to me. And a few people said, I think I might know who it is. I think I might know who it is. But the giver's still a mystery. And I'm assuming they just want it to be a mystery. Or uh, I'll go comment. Point- I'll go comment on it. I didn't see that, but you know. <laughs> at some point, you know, they'll reach out and they'll tell me, oh, I forgot yeah. the card or whatever it was. But that's what I would How think. are you with people's generosity towards you? People can be very generous with pastors. People can be. Yeah. Uh, I like to think that we're likable people, so people will be generous with us, whatever <laughs> else it might be. We've had multiple times where people, not anonymously, have been very generous with us. Do you... Uh, Obviously, we like when people are generous, but <laughs> yeah. do you struggle? Do you struggle with it, or is it like, hey, this is bringing them some sort of joy? I'm going to tell them thank you, and then I'm just going to love this. I think it depends on the nature of it. Like early on in youth ministry, when we didn't have kids, and you're like barely making ends meet, right? Which I mean, that's all of us now still, but like especially then. There was an older couple that had been in youth ministry themselves, and they would every once in a while just send us like a hundred dollar check in the mail. Like, hey, we know how hard this season is. Just want to bless you. And I, I mean, that meant so much to me. It encouraged me in ministry. It it met a need. You know, it was such a gift. I think now there are certain things like, hey, if someone wants to offer us their vacation home for the week, I'll say yes. And I'll be like, praise Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. I will. I will take this without question. Sometimes when people are so generous, it can feel a little like, should I accept this? Is this weird? Are we getting into a strange territory? Is this, uh you know, and thankfully we have never had anybody that has made us feel uncomfortable at all. But there are certainly some people that just have the means and are able That's to what bless I, you. And I, I don't know. It's a strange line. You just never, I, I got some advice from a woman who is older and probably on a totally different scale when it comes to this, like people are giving her generous things and she's like, just don't post about it. Like, just don't brag mm. about it. Don't, you know, don't, but I don't know. It's, I think it's kind of weird. You can get into some funky territory and you, yeah, can. you want to accept, you want to be grateful for the ways people are being so generous and kind. I don't know. I yep. you can tell I'm working it out. Even as I'm talking now, what do you think? I, I don't struggle a ton taking people's generosity, uh, but I yeah. do want to thank them. I do think, a, it's a blessing to us, and I like mm-hmm. when people give us stuff. But also, there's a <laughs> some people, and they've said this to me, like, we are able to do this, and we want to do it yeah. for you. Right. Uh, right. And know that it brings you joy. And you're like, well, thank you, and it brings me great joy. <laughs> so, thank you, and yes. I want to be that person. I think ultimately, I, do. I feel, don't you want to be the person with the yes. means that can be, like, sending your pastors on yes. people in need on vacations? Like, I think that would be the dream to be able to sit in that spot. I, so I agree. guess we, the lesson is to be generous in the ways we can and bless people there you go. in the ways we can. Yeah. There you go. And if whoever was really generous with us was is listening, thank you. <laughs> we appreciate it. Uh, Aubrey, coming up next, we're going to do something that we don't normally do. Our producer, Laura, came up with a couple questions for us to almost interview each other and kind of get to know us kind of some ministry some ministry questions some background questions so you're going to learn more about us next here on the common good aim 1160 hope for your life 
And Aubrey, one of the things we like to do on the show is to let people get to know us because I think our stories are a lot like other people's stories. Yeah. And to look back and to see God's hand at work, to see the highs and the lows. How did we get through the low spots of whether it be ministry or marriage and just kind of hopefully encourage people with uh, how God has been at work in our own lives, right? Like 15 years ago, if somebody had told you, hey, you're going to be having a radio show, you'd be like, that's the craziest (laughs) thing. But then you can look back and see how the pieces kind of came together. That's just one example. So we're going to do this twice today. Uh, This first run at it, I'm going to ask you some questions. We're going to learn the Aubrey story a little bit, and then you'll return the favor later on uh, in the show. So uh, here's the question. Uh, I want to know the story uh, because you didn't go to Wheaton to be a pastor or to mm-hmm. be a writer. You went right. to be, uh, you were a theater um, major, if I remember, right? No, I, I mean, I was an English literature major, so I did have writing in mind, but definitely but, not ministry. But you did theater. I mean, you're yeah, a I theater, theater person. Yeah, I was uh, a theater person. So I would like to know the story of you coming to the point in life of going, I'm going into ministry. Was there a moment or did it, you know, was it just a a collection of moments? No, there, there was a moment. Um, I, I was working at the Wade center at Wheaton college, which is the archive for, uh, the inklings. So like the Mm -hmm. Lewis stuff is there and Tolkien's stuff is there. Chesterton, Owen Barfield and Dorothy Sayers. And um, that was a fun job. But at the time, I, I was volunteering in the uh, youth ministry at my church. And I don't know exactly. I mean, I can remember being in the car, driving home from work one day. And I loved that job. And it was adjacent to my you know, f- field of study. But thinking to myself, man, I don't have life on earth is limited. I am spending 40 hours a week at essentially, you know, an archive library, which is meaningful work. I mean, don't Mm -hmm. get me wrong. Like the work of the Inklings is incredibly meaningful. But I felt a, um, a discontent that I wasn't actually contributing to God's kingdom. And for 40 hours of my week, I was pouring into like the work of these dead authors and not actually pouring mm. into the lives of my neighbors. And at the time, like youth, like I was only volunteering a couple hours a uh day and I can just really remember like driving home from work one day feeling like God was saying it's time for you to to dive into like doing this full time and you know lots of people can do ministry outside of the church walls and don't need to quit their jobs but I felt God saying to me I'm calling you to ministry and I you know most of my life I have well, once I became a Christian, I devoured God's word. I mm. loved uh, learning and teaching about God's word. I didn't know that there was a place for that for women, honestly, because I grew up in or girls even because I grew up in Southern Baptist Church. But I just knew in whatever capacity I have, I want to be in ministry. And I just it, it was that urgency of time. I don't have enough time on this earth. I I want to use it wisely for God's kingdom and I want to use it for Jesus. Um, and so I began to pray that the Lord, okay, God, if this is really like something you're calling me to, would you bring an opportunity in my life? Mm. And that's what was so wild is, you know, not long after. And by not long, I mean, maybe like two weeks after 
I got a call from the church that they were looking to hire a junior high youth director. And I was already volunteering in the youth ministry. And they were like, we think you'd be great at it. And I was like, what? Would I be great at it? Wait, <laughs> really? <what? laughs> and I began to like dream with Kevin and think through it and do some research. I mean, I didn't really know much about youth ministry besides volunteering. Um, but I did interviews and like met with the elders and all of a sudden I was being on wow. this job. And I mean, it was pretty whirlwind. And then, you know, from that point on, been in some version of ministry, obviously didn't stay in youth ministry, but um so that was kind of my my calling, I guess, yeah. if you will. Yeah, I just didn't want to waste didn't want to waste the time that I had on this earth. And that that wouldn't be a waste for everyone. That was specific. Uh, totally. I felt like the Lord was calling me to. And when did you feel like you So it seems like earlier in your life you were like I want to write. But at yes. what point did you start to view your writing as ministry, as like, you know what, yeah. I'm going to write, I'm going, I'm not going to be the next John Grisham and write, right. you know, right. I mean, I'm sure early on you were like, I'm going to write trashy romance novels. Oh, like that was yes. probably where you were heading. <laughs> that was my goal. Uh, that was my dream. But when, at what point did you decide, you know what, I'm going to write uh, things that will specifically encourage people spiritually. Like that's the direction I want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I did, um, I did think for a while I would be just some like novelist, right? And I think some of that was maturity, like realizing like, oh, wait, unless I like am um, some very famous author or really, really committed, this isn't going to happen. But I always loved writing my whole life. I've I've been writing since I was a little girl. I've been writing. And so when I was pregnant with my first son, uh, Eli, Part of this is just some work God was doing in my life. I've shared this on the show before. I was dealing with some shame from uh, two situations of sexual assault in my past. And when Eli, uh, when I was pregnant with Eli, I felt very convicted that I did not want him to come into this world with a mom who was covered in shame. Hmm. And so the Lord and I were doing a lot of personal work behind the scenes at the same time I was writing about it, because again, I've always been a writer and that's just how I've expressed myself both to God. And just as I've processed things, so I was writing about this kind of journey that I was on and, um, this could story could take forever, but God brought enough writing mentors into my life that I began to realize like, Oh, maybe this isn't just a personal story, but there could be like universalized or principalized things from what God has done in my life, in my healing from shame Mm. and could use this passion that I've had for writing to do that. So it was kind of the perfect storm of God moving in my life, me taking what was a really personal journal and doing the work to make it a little more. I mean, universal is a strong word, but like general for other people, not just me. And, um, having a baby and stepping back from ministry and having, I mean, you don't really have time to write when you have a baby, but finding more hours in my day to write when he was napping or whatever. So that was just sort of like, you know, sometimes God says, do this. And sometimes you just see how your life kind of comes together puzzle piece by puzzle piece. And I would say writing for writing to encourage others spiritually sort of came out of what God was doing in my life. It's so interesting. Life does feel like a journey that only when you look back, do you see those major mile markers like, oh, that moment was when that moment happened. You didn't know it was like this. 
boom, right. this is this huge right. moment in which I'm now going. But now when you look back, you're like, oh, on that day, that happened. Mm-hmm. I didn't wake up that day going, well, this is happening today. But you're right. going, that was one of those days. All right. Yep. So we learned yep. a little bit more about Aubrey I Sampson. I like to ask you some questions. That'll be fun. I do feel like I put out there into the universe of you writing trashy romance novels. Like, I feel like that needs to be a goal, not like the goal, not like the purpose of life, mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. a one off at some point, maybe. No, I do. I mean, it's a little I mean, you're kind of joking. I would actually love to write a romance <laughs> novel, but I'd have to do it under a fake name. Like it would be a nom de plume. Can I pick yeah. the fake name? I want to pick yeah. the fake yes. name. You, I already have it. You want to hear what it is? <laughs> well, now it's everyone's going to know, but yes. A Gail Aldenshire. <laughs> it's my middle name plus the like one of the streets I grew up with, uh, grow grew up on. Gail Aldenshire. She's gonna write trashy romance novels. I can't wait. I I will pick up the first Gail Goldenshire. Uh, Aldenshire. Aldenshire. <laughs> uh, book that comes out. I will be I will be excited for that. All right. Well, that's yeah, fun. Coming up next. Coming up next, a more serious topic at, that was broached at Christianity Today uh, a little while ago. Uh, it's uh, Let me just read you the title. Joseph forgave his estranged brothers. So can you. Whoa. We're going to talk forgiveness and family next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. A difficult topic over uh, last week they wrote at Christianity Today. Uh, something kind of cool. They have an international essay contest. I didn't know that was the case. Either. It's amazing. Yeah, but this was one of the winners. This was specifically a translation of the winner of Christianity Today's second annual essay contest for Christians who write in Chinese. That's cool. Uh, So really fascinating. But man, uh, this author really tackled a difficult subject. I could just read to you the headline. Joseph forgave his estranged brothers. So can you, but with a hitch with a question mark. It's not like, so can you, it's like, so can you, uh, basically asking if that serves as some sort of model. Uh, the author says Joseph's response to his treacherous siblings invites us to reevaluate similar relationships in your life. And he talks about the simple statement in Genesis 45, when Joseph says to his brothers who had abused, I mean, they sold him into slavery, right? Like This was uh, no easy thing. And he says, Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And the the author says, come close to me is a simple statement, but it also signals an act of restoration. Joseph, the victim, made a seemingly ordinary remark to his brothers, the perpetrators. And he goes on to say that Joseph kind of made the first step, even though he was Mm -hmm. the victim, all of this stuff, and then asks the really difficult question. Um, are we called to say, do the same thing? Are we supposed to have the courage? He talks about courage specifically within our family. Like, right. This is brother to brother. Like what is the role? So what do you even think of him using this story in particular? And then we'll kind of unpack this messy topic. Yeah. I mean, it is a messy topic. So I think this is a bold thing to write about, especially because it does feel like family conflict is at the height yeah. of a lot of our conflict, especially since the pandemic, it seems like. Um, I know that's not new. Obviously, Joseph and his brothers had conflict, but 
Cain and Abel had conflict, right? But just thinking about, wow, the past few years, families have really been kind of torn apart. And so to think about the story of what God did in Joseph's life as a, a way to consider our own posture towards brothers, sisters who've hurt us, in-laws who've hurt us, family members mm-hmm. who've hurt us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's um, you know, I've always thought about this moment for Joseph must have been so courageous and so vulnerable for him to uh, welcome back and forgive, bless, reconcile, be reunited with the brothers who really, I mean, betrayed him in such a horrific way. Absolutely. They wanted him dead. Yes. They did. Completely. And, and I, I don't know. You know, it's interesting. Like, I'm thinking about pastoral advice I would give someone who said to me, they came to me and said, my brothers tried to kill me or my sisters tried to sell me into slavery. I'd be like, don't ever talk to them again. Yeah, you're you're done now with that relationship. So I I don't know. I mean, I think it's a hard, um, a hard challenge. I think it is a hard challenge. What do you think? Yeah, this is the reason that I hate to preach on forgiveness, because it feels like there's always (laughs) caveats to it. it. Yeah, you have to do it. And you always want to say if this, if this. And I always Uh, struggle with myself. Like, is that a lack of? Faith right. on my own part as to the grace and tra- or is that wisdom to say, hey, well, you were terribly abused by your brother, your parent, whatever else mm-hmm. it might be. There's wisdom and say, and I think the answer is both. I think I do lack yeah. some faith in like uh, the power of grace and the power of what. But I also know that there is wisdom in boundaries and this and that. I man. I don't know what I think about using this story as the model. Like, I don't know what I think. Go about and either. do likewise. I don't know that that's the point of this story well, so is I, to go and do likewise. Yeah, that's one of the things where I'm a little bit hesitant is, you know, the Old Testament is primarily a book about God and what mm-hmm. God's doing with his people. It's what we so, we make a lot of mistakes. I actually think when we set up. David as our hero, Joseph as our hero, Rahab as our hero, Mm. because it's not really a book of heroes. It's not a book of spiritual models. It's about what God is doing in and through the Israelite people and his covenant relationship with them. I do think that we can read the story of Joseph and say, wow, what a powerful example of God's covenant relationship with his people. He carried Joseph through because he promised that he would. And in the way that God has forgiven and continued to love and bless and reconcile himself to Israel is we see that in Joseph, right? We see Joseph modeling that for his brothers. But I do think sometimes it can uh, to take some of these Old Testament stories as like a model for all things, all times, all places is not necessarily what the, the stories are intended for. Yeah. I, let me read but, how he closes. Let me, let, yeah, okay, go ahead. Let me just say one more thing. And also, forgiveness is hard. So I'm willing to be like, hey, is there a plank in my own eye here where I just right. I want to have an excuse not to forgive people? Who hurt right. Me. Like, I'll be honest about that, too. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, I just feel like every time you preach on forgiveness, you always have a 
the, the yeah. email later in the day, the phone call, the person who comes up afterwards going, but let me tell you my story. And you're like, yeah. uh, maybe this doesn't apply to you. <laughs> like, uh, because again, the way he finishes this, I want to at one uh, part of me wants to yell amen. Like, yes. Mm-hmm. And part of me wants to go, man, that's a little too black and white. That's a little mm-hmm. too. Let's hear it's a, it. Yeah, he says when Joseph, the victim in this story, issued an unexpected gesture of reconciliation to his brothers, they became suddenly aware and convicted of their past mistakes. Reconciliation is the beginning of repairing a broken relationship and opens the door to ending cycles of abuse within that relationship. This is not the world's way of violence for violence, but the biblical way of overcoming evil with good. Like I, Hmm. I on one hand believe that. And on the other hand, I'm going. Man, that's a huge ask to make on people who have been abused. You're going, you who are the victim, go approach the victimizer, even if it's a family member, and and immediately show them great. I don't. I think this is the point of forgiveness. It's messy. I don't know. I don't know if he's right or not. Yeah, it's messy. And I do. I mean, I do think one thing from Joseph's story is how many decades had it been since this happened? Joseph is a grown man married to probably several ladies. Well, we know several ladies. Uh, Lots of, you know, he, he has become an old man at this point. So the reconciliation didn't happen months later, years later, even decades later, maybe there's something there, like enough time and enough change on behalf of the brothers who we know in the story felt repentance. But I, you're right. This is a hard call to consider, especially for the victims of abuse, life threatening abuse, like Joseph went through. Um, You know what? It makes me think only by Mm. the grace of God, like only the supernatural work of God could do something like this. Yeah. Yeah, don't get us wrong. We believe fully in forgiveness and the power of yeah. it. Yeah, yes. Just how is it playing out? I think I think this article brings up some really um, important things to think about. Once again, we will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.